This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Joe Eisman from Morning Glories, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comicast with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 71 of THN. We are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 20th, and reading your answers to the question of the week. We posted on Facebook and Twitter this morning in a timely fashion even. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not contemplating firing tear gas into the great Donnybrook of 2012 and ordering the execution of all contenders <laughs> after the little bastards turned against me yesterday, oh, man. I am writing about and appraising comics for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, and when I'm not trying to get my co-host's attention by spilling coffee on his signed hardcovers like a petulant child. True story. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, I promise you, you're going to hear reviews of Avengers <laughs> vs. X-Men number 6 and Mars Attacks number 1. After that, we'll review 10 comics so fast there's no way anyone will believe we're taking our medication during the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics, and finally will prove we are taking our meds when we review an entire graphic novel as part of our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment, where we'll be reviewing Royden Lep's Rust. But before we get to the long, curse-word-laden rant that is this show, let's take a second to thank the Supreme Court for throwing out the prohibitions on nudity and naughty words, and then we'll take off our clothes and say, suck our fat <laughs> and then we can talk about this week's big news. I was really- Why are they still f***ing bleeping this out? <laughs> Archie Comics, the bastion of racial, sexual, and gender equality. I'm not, that's not a joke. Truly, no, it's because. Will feature a very special guest star in the pages of Kevin Keller number six. Gay icon George Takei will appear in the book as himself, teaming up with Keller for what I'm sure will be a hilarious adventure. Now, while Takei's appearance isn't really huge news... It serves as a good opportunity to point out what an amazing job Archie Comics has been doing promoting their message of tolerance. When the One Million Moms organization protested the release of Life with Archie 16, the issue which flash-forwarded to Kevin's wedding to his male, black partner... I was going to say One Million Moms, who are believed to be... 1,600 strong. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> By the way, I heard a report on him. Archie's co-CEO, John Goldwater, had this to say, quote... Riverdale is a safe, welcoming place that does not judge anyone. It's an idealized version of America that will hopefully become reality someday. Like Star Trek. (laughs) Yes. We're sorry One Million Moms feels so negatively about our product, but they have every right to their opinion, just like we have the right to stand by ours. Kevin Keller will forever be a part of Riverdale, and he will live a happy, long life free of prejudiced hate and narrow-minded people good for you john goldwater archie comics man and i'm sorry anyone who says that acceptance is not a good thing is not only wrong but they're a bad person true okay i'm not religious out way out of the closet angry atheist and i'd like to ask one million moms what would jesus do would jesus go around and go these gay people are evil and if he does i'm not following him around Eat it. There it is. One million moms. <laughs> Eat it, Jesus. <laughs> no, this is good. Am I going to read it? No. Do I care? No. But there's no reason why we can't have kids comics where we have a gay character that is normal, part of society. Now, I will say part of my criticism of Kevin Keller was the way he came out of the closet. Nobody was shocked. Like, even the assholes, even Reggie was like, 
instead of being like, whatever, homo, you know, Reggie was just like, oh, the gay kid thinks he can get a happy boyfriend? Well, I'm going to show him. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to get the happiest boyfriend. Right. They were a little too <laughs> accepting, maybe, well, to make it believable. But that's Archie. Like, I'm not even sure. But that is Archie, and that's them sticking by their guns. I'm not even sure Kevin Keller was ever actually in the closet. I No, I, I don't think believe he, he was. was fully formed homosexual yeah. from birth. He was like, I'm Kevin. I'm gay. Hey, Veronica, let's go shopping. You yeah, know? kind of. Yeah, <laughs> that that is Riverdale. John Goldwater hit it exactly on the head. You can be black. You can be a nerd. You can be an idiot like Moose. Don't call it Moose an idiot to his face. Is Moose handicapped? No, but he's Are you sure? just a du- <laughs> he's a duller. Is anybody handicapped? I'm sure that there is. There Jughead. are some people. Jughead's mentally retarded. We've established that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Riverdale is all inclusive and. I say, thumbs up, Archie Comics. I wish I wanted to read your comic. Write a story about the plot to kill Margaret Thatcher, depict the queen naked and humiliated, and receive an award from the British Empire. Sounds about right. This week, it was announced that Grant Morrison, a writer known primarily for his work in American comics, will be given the MBE, or Member of the British Empire. So, like, not quite knighted, but really close. I looked it up I looked it up last night when I was writing this story, He's and nuts. there are, like, five different degrees right. of this, and it's all dependent on, like, whether or not you're military or whatever. whatever. Regardless, we will be referring to him as Sir Grant Sir Morrison, Grant Morrison. <laughs> from now on. You'll be given the MBE or Member of British Empire as a comic book writer and playwright for services to film and literature. That is so perfectly British. <laughs> in other Morrison news, rumors are swirling that the heavy editorial hand present in DC's New 52 may not apply to Morrison's work. No sh. <laughs> While many artists and Stop writers. Cussing. We can do that. The Supreme Court said it's fine. While many artists and writers are forced to make revisions, Grant's books are seemingly unhindered, meaning that. While he may try to squeeze the square peg of his Batman run into the round hole of the DC reboot, any contradictions that come up may go unexplained and completely ignored. Again, no shit. <laughs> Joe, between these rumors and the MBE honor, does this make Sir Grant Morrison the most powerful writer in comics today? I think it does. I think arguably more so than Jeff Johns. Oh, for sure. Like, Definitely. Jeff Johns might be an executive at DC, and that's all well and good. And I get it. But if these rumors are to be believed... DC is just actively letting Grant Morrison do whatever he wants. I think Grant Morrison, by not having a title, by not having to wear the yoke of chief creative officer or whatever the hell it is that Jeff Johns is with his fun little made-up position. Chief creative officer. (laughs) Chief creative officer. (laughs) I think by not having that title as a yoke around his neck, it probably frees him to do whatever the hell he wants. And as long as he keeps selling books, they don't care. Yeah, and that's the thing. If the rumors are to be believed, they're terrified to make him do revisions because what happens if Grant Morrison walks? What happens when Grant Morrison decides he doesn't need it? Well, now here's the other side of that. Scott Snyder is quickly becoming go-to bat guy, and he is doing all those stories completely within the context of the relaunch. It's true. maybe this is the beginning of the end for Sir Grant Morrison. I don't know. But then again, maybe he continues to be the exception and DC just lets him work. I hope they do. I'm just saying, like, more so than any writer these days, Grant Morrison, love him or hate him, Ryan, seems to get talked about more than most other modern it's guys. It's true. Whether, yeah, like, whether you love are, him or hate him, you're, they're buying his books. People are still talking about Grant Morrison's new X-Men, which wasn't necessarily for me, but I still talk about it all the time. Were you shocked at all that he's not doing any of the before Watchmen stuff? I was a little shocked. That's a little weird, right? Maybe they asked him and he said no. He said, bollocks! Finally, as director of the Men in Black... I don't even know if I used that right. <laughs> bo- uh, no. 
Finally, as director of the Men in Black film franchise and the Tick live-action TV series, Barry Sonnenfeld is no stranger to comic book properties. Sonnenfeld aims to continue dipping into the comic well with his next project. According to New York Magazine's Vulture blog, the director is working to bring DC's Metal Men to the silver screen. Which just how in the hell? For, <laughs> for those of you who may not be familiar with the obscure concept... The Metal Men are a team of six sentient robots created by Dr. Will Magnus and given insane shape-shifting powers based on metals from the periodic table. Do not read the last series as drawn oh, by Duncan Rulau if you want to know anything about them. It was pretty weird. <laughs> it was fun, but man, was it weird. <laughs> the concept was created during the Silver Age by Robert Kaniger and Ross Andrew, and I love it. I completely adore it. And if we're living in a world where a Metal Man movie can exist, then I think we're doing pretty well as a society. What do you think, Matt? I think this is a rumor. I don't mean to quash anything, but I think this is a rumor at best. And maybe Sonnenfeld did actually confirm that he is working on adapting a 60s comic book. I got that. I think this is a rumor. I, Why I just, this, though? I don't know. I, I can't say that I know. Now, that said, if you had told me there was going to be an Abraham Lincoln vampire killer movie... Five years ago, I would have said you're insane. So yeah. it's weirder stuff has definitely happened. That said, I think this is a rumor. I want it to be true. So if it's true, so it could badly. be fun. And Barry Sonnenfeld would be a great name to attach to something this wacky. Uh, make it happen, Hollywood, please. If you love me even a little. I don't think they even know you, you exist. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories, slow news week, by the way, because Heroes Con is this weekend and they're saving it all up. Or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Joe has posted several videos of him chewing on the slipcase of my Absolute Sandman Volume 2, signed by Kelly Jones, and taking a shit on my Nexus Archive Volume 1, signed by Steve the Dude Rude. He loves to hurt me. Listen, Steve the Dude Rude will gladly take a shit on his book for you. Speaking of the Metal Men, let's talk about the question of the week. Earlier today, we posted the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and it went like this. With the Metal Men getting a movie, what obscure comics property would you like to see turned into a movie? Joe, what are our lovely listeners saying? Our buddy Ryan Forrest posts to Facebook... I'm going to go with Profit right off the top. I love it. Ridley Scott could direct it, and then the movie would make about as much sense as the comic. <laughs> this book is so underrated, it's not even funny. I totally agree. And it would be an awesome sci-fi flick. And after watching Prometheus, yeah, Ridley Scott, sign that dude up. <laughs> uh, Justin O'Connor says, instead of Drive, Nicholas Winding Verfern... I don't know what that last name is supposed to be. He also directed Valhalla Rising. Okay. Awesome movie. And Ryan Gosling should have made a hyper-violent badger movie. I love it. I love it because Gosling looks like the badger. He's skinny <laughs> and blonde. and oh, I love it. That's an excellent choice, Justin. We're off to a great start. That is fantastic. We're going to hit a few more of these throughout the show, but two real good ones to start out. It's review time again, where each week Matt and I gently peel the wrapper back from two new comics and hold them under our nose to smell the chocolatey overtones, and then clip the ends off so we can smoke them. Yeah. Matt, this cigar metaphor got lost while you wrote this drunk last night. I know. Tell the kids what you read. This week, I read Mars Attacks, number one, written by John Lehman, with art by John McRae from IDW Entertainment. Here is your solicit. The invasion begins. The first stories of an all-new Mars Attacks universe are here bringing outrageous action and dark humor to the comics page. Eisner-winning writer John Lehman, Chew, 
is joined by Eisner-winning artist John McRae. Hitman also does dicks. They don't mention that one. because you know, Dicks. It's Avatar. They're the black sheep of the family. To sound the alarm. Beware! The Martians are coming! Now, if you think back a few months ago when IDW first announced this, it was right before April Fool's Day, and the announcement was that John Lehman was writing a Broadway Mars Attacks musical. <laughs> <laughs> and they were going to put this comic out in tandem with it. Nice. And the, it was a like, completely seriously written article. That is awesome. And, yeah, and I because while I was like searching for stuff about John Lehman talking about the book, I stumbled upon that, and I was like, what? the hell <laughs> <laughs> though it's not regarded as a triumph of american cinema i love tim burton's mars attack film little did i know that the story was loosely based on the 1962 tops collector card series of 55 different images depicting martians destroying human society they were sketched by wally wood which i also didn't know and yeah. very cool and bob powell a name i don't recognize and painted by norman saunders a name i do recognize I mentioned the 55 different cards because IDW offered 55 damn different covers of number one. If you ordered 55, you got one of each. <laughs> the sad thing is, is I don't think that's a record. No, I don't think it is. I think, uh... I think, when, I think that when Godzilla, King of the Monsters well, came out, there was like 100. Here's why I think this is the record. There was 100, but they were, you had to order them by store. Oh, and they and were they all were the store same exclusives. kind of except for the same the cover store logo. With a different store logo on it. So I'm saying the record goes here. Anyway, I bought the burning flesh one with like <laughs> a, a Martian firing electricity onto a dude and you can like see his skeleton. They weren't even that gory. But ever since the Connecticut district attorney filed a complaint based on the violence depicted in the cards and Tops was forced to cease productions, these cards have lived in infamy. Now, both Chew writer John Lehman and Hitman and Dicks artist John McRae report to own Dicks. the entire set. And after reading this first issue, I totally believe it. The story starts in 1961, one year prior to the Martian invasion, and follows the early days of the Martian general Czar. We see Czar and crew coming into Earth in their ridiculous 60s spaceship with the bubble glass. I believe they call it a flying saucer. <laughs> yes, they're an exploratory crew coming to see what human society is like, and unfortunately they crash land where they're discovered by two yokels who sell one of them to a local carnival to be a freak. This was so much fun. Layman and McRae used the original Topps cards to actually tell the story. Oh, yes, I loved that. With McRae, like, he's recreating actual cards. He redraws them, and they're sort of used as chapter headings. I followed McRae since he drew Hitman for DC back in 1996, and I always liked his art. There were times, more recently with his work on, like, Dicks especially, where he gets a little too loose and cartoony, but I loved him here. This was some of the best stuff I've seen from him. It's obvious McRae loves the source material. He drew the hell out of this issue. I would say that this is still cartoony, and it's still very much in his kind of loose, humorous style, but it totally works for this kind of wacky, 60 sci-fi story. Layman brings his unique brand of humor to the story as well, and by the end, he even has a sort of cheering for the martians yeah. much in the way the kids in the 60s like prayed for more cards featuring the violent death of humankind like i want to see them come and kill cows and destroy china and roll through the american air force you know like this is going to be a lot of fun now that said is this something i see myself reading for more than 10 15 issues 
I really don't know, but I do know that Layman is a very talented guy, great sense of humor, great writer. John McRae is killing it here. If anybody can keep me interested, it's these two guys. I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it too. Uh, I don't know if I would see myself reading it more than, I don't know, six issues. It's going to have to be, it's going to have to be pretty damn funny. But I, I did really enjoy it. It is completely goofy, and it's hard to recommend wholeheartedly, but you at least got to pick it up and give it a look. I thought it was very well done. Yeah. It, um, my one complaint was that I wish they had phonetically written the alien dialogue. They just used some sort of funky yeah. gibberish looking script. Not even letters, just like a or, graphic. Or even just go with like a Tim Burton. I, I, I wish that they had written out... <laughs> that was and the they best part of the movie. <laughs> but <laughs> sounds like he's screaming. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Joe, what did you read this week? My pick for the week was Avengers versus X-Men number six. This is the start of Act Two of AVX. I'm sorry, of Avex. This was written by Jonathan Hickman, penciled by Olivier Quapel, inked by Mark Morales, and colored by Laura Martin. Uh, there will be some spoilers ahead, but every news site on the internet has already spoiled the events of AVX number five, so whatever! <laughs> the solicitation from Diamond is useless as usual, Yeah, this so... bullet point bullshit has got to and, end, and, and DC's doing it too now! To be fair, that's from Marvel, not from Diamond. But here's a synopsis. The Phoenix Five have landed on Earth and are using their vast powers to remake the world. While they're acting like benevolent benefactors, not everyone welcomes their interference. Enter the Scarlet Witch. Oh, shit! <laughs> you can you can use that if you want Marvel. There you go. Now this issue picks up ten days after the end of issue five, and those ten days are all the Phoenix Five have needed to make major changes to the planet. Professor Xavier enters the picture and visits Cyclops on Utopia, which is now this massive, miraculous floating city. It looks so cool. By the way, it's been so long since we've seen Professor X, I forgot dude could walk. Yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot. It's he's been, been so long. He's been walking literally now for, I want to say, almost eight years. Right? But yeah. it's been so damn long since we've seen him. <laughs> I loved the interaction between Professor X and Cyclops, which really illustrated how much the Phoenix Force has affected Cyclops' personality. Uh, everything about him, like even his costume, which looked silly last issue... Yeah. When Ramita Jr. drew it. A lot of things look silly when Ramita Jr. drew them. <laughs> but in this issue, it makes Cyclops look detached and inhuman. It's just very creepy. It's sort of like BDSM, too. You a know? little bit, yeah. <laughs> He's got a nice red yeah. V-shaped codpiece pointing oh, yeah. right to his business. Man, Colossus <laughs> looked awesome. It's true. Totally cool. It's true. And he has his hair back suddenly. Which I very much like. I'm tired of Bald Colossus. This is dumb. <laughs> we see how the Avengers are dealing with things now that they've essentially lost the fight to stop the Phoenix. And they're doing their best to go about their business as usual. But the Phoenixes keep showing up and making them look like chumps. I think it's just Phoenix. I think the plural of Phoenix is Phoenix. Phoenix. Like moose the, and moose. The Phoenix eye. Phoenix. <laughs> Let's go with Phoenix. The penises keep showing up and making them look like chumps. There's a great scene where Colossus, who has his hair back, not only talked a group of Zaxes. I think it's the Zaxes. <laughs> Thank you. Stop <laughs> correcting me. He talked a group of Zaxes, Zaxes from attacking the Avengers, but also convinced them to serve 
as the power supply for Eastern Europe. And it was a great scene, it too. Was, like, Danny Rand is coming home, beat up, sitting in the hel- Quinjet. Quinjet. And Captain America's like, well, what happened when they started fighting? Did you see any weaknesses? And he's like, they didn't they fight. They talked it out. Yeah. He talked it out. <laughs> <laughs> there is a really believable moment later on where there's dissension in the Avengers. You've got Captain America and Wolverine who are basically just continuing their scheming against the X-Men while guys like Beast and Black Panther are seeing the good that the Phoenix Five are doing and start doubting their mission. It really it really rang true. Even Tony. Even yeah. Iron Man. And that was probably my favorite scene in the issue. And I tell you what, Olivier Coipel is the only guy that makes Cat Beast look super awesome. Yeah. This was the first time I looked at Hank McCoy in like Cat Grant Morrison Cat Beast for him and I went Man, that's bad. Looks like the beast. That it was really cool. good. Meanwhile, something very strange is going on with Iron Fist, which has tied in with the last several issues of New Avengers, which has me excited. I'm very happy to see the Iron Fist mythos play such an important part of the story. I am worried, however, that that might mean that Danny Rand is a potential candidate for the big death that's rumored to come later. No way. I'm calling the shot. It's got to be Scott Summers. I don't think Cyclops gets out of this one. <laughs> but here's the thing, There's man. There's just no way. He's going to be in good, so much trouble if good, he does. Good writers are always saying you got to hurt the characters that you love. And I who get it. do they love more than Iron Fist right now? I get it. I think they love Cyclops too, man. I don't think anybody likes Cyclops. I love Cyclops. Who are you? <laughs> when the Avengers get their act together and make another play to grab hope, the Scarlet Witch steps in to show everybody who's boss. Hickman just really brings it here with some great dialogue. The majority of this issue is just talking heads and set up for act two, but it is so compelling. I couldn't put it down. And as much as I enjoy and defend John Romita Jr., Quapel's art is like a breath of fresh air. It's beautiful. And Laura Martin's colors are unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. I need more work from this creative team, not just once per year when the big event rolls around. Right. Where are where do they keep this guy when there is not a big crossover? I think like Jimmy Chung, he's slow. Ah oh, man. I know. Step and I love up. both those guys so much. This I am saying that this is probably the best issue of this series so far. Now that the mindless fist fights seem to be over, at least for now, I am really excited to find out what happens next. Plus, this issue is extra-sized, and it's the same price. You don't pay any extra for yeah, the extra pages. Yeah, it was huge. It was a really yeah. chunky read. You can't go wrong. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay, I agree with everything you said. But okay, this could be the point where this crossover jumps right back into the heavy plot metaphor, <laughs> like fear oh. itself mess, you know? like Maybe. It could leap right back there. I'm not saying, and you know what? If it does, and Jonathan Hickman is handling it, that might be okay. Well, because Bendis wrote, what, the first three? Well, it's been a parade of writers. It was uh, Jason Aaron, Matt Fraction, Ed Brubaker, Jonathan Hickman. They all came up with a story, and then each writer wrote right. one issue. And it's going to continue that way. That's what it looks like to me. I, I like what's going on here. I'm not... I don't buy the criticism that I've heard from some people saying that everyone's acting out of character. This is basically a fight between Cyclops and Captain America. And those who will follow Cyclops are going to do what he says, especially now that he has almost godlike power. Those who have been following Cap are going to continue to do so because he's Captain friggin' America. Yeah. So I think this is fun. I think this is well done. I think it's exciting. And when it's all over, the Marvel Universe is going to be different. I'm calling my shot. Cyclops dies. They always say that things will change, things will never be the same, or it's a thrill ride or whatever, but I was genuinely excited to read through this. Yeah, I think it's gonna, I think this is fantastic. Huge buy it for me. You bet. 
As always, we want to know what you Martian Invaders and Powered Up X-Peeps thought of these comics, so let us know how out of character and out of left field our reviews were over at our Facebook page. Earlier this week, Joe and I found ourselves alone at Warrior's Bar, shutting the place down once again, trying to drink the awful new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer from our minds, (laughs) when Joe, with his last quarter, pulled the gem-encrusted belt buckle of Cytorak from the claw machine, and upon attaching it to our belt, we become an unstoppable two-headed juggernaut of destruction, heading straight to Hollywood to stop the TMNT post-production, while reviewing ten comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Nightwing, number 10 from DC. Uh, Caught you off guard, didn't I? (laughs) You sure did. Nightwing, number 10 from DC. This is just more great stuff. I'm glad I got caught up on this book. Uh, Dickett is accused of murder. Somebody's out there killing somebody with his uh, little staffy things. And I really like it. Great art from Eddie Barrows. Eddie Barrows art just gets better and better, and man. And somebody who's not Eddie Barrows but is doing an incredible Eddie Barrows uh, facsimile. I give it a buy it. TMNT Micro Series number five, Splinter from IDW. The cover here was from Mouse Guard's David Peterson, and it sucked me straight in. The art inside was by the Stuff of Legend penciler Charles Paul Wilson III. It was equally awesome, and the story was written by Ghostbusters writer Eric Burnham. It did not disappoint. I wish these guys were handling the entire relaunch. Buy this. Don't buy anything else, because it all sucks. Before Watchmen, <laughs> the comedian, number one from DC. I couldn't let Matt have all the fun by reviewing every Watchmen book himself. This was really good. This uh, was really good. It's Azarello, not Darwin Cook, and it's got art by J.G. Jones. So I much prefer his covers to his interiors. I begged to differ. I thought it looked great. It was still pretty good looking, and it is the comedian in the 60s pounding it around with the Kennedys. Yeah. There's an ending that does not jive with what I kind of understand about the original story. I think we're moving towards something. But I couldn't remember if that was the movie I was thinking about or if I was thinking about the book. Trust me, you were thinking about the movie. Regardless, I loved it. I'm giving it a buy it. Astonishing X-Men number 51 from Marvel. This is the big gay wedding issue. It's a touching story, very well written, even featured characters on both sides of the gay marriage debate, which I, have to I give really credit. Right. Yeah, credit yeah. from Marvel. For very that. well done. Uh, very well executed story by Marjorie Liu. Unfortunately, Mike Perkins' art did not do it for me here. Really? There's some really weird panels. One of the worst looking Sasquatches from Alpha Flight <laughs> I have ever seen. It was terrible. And I'm sorry, that's my favorite Marvel Universe character you're screwing with. A good X wedding, but I can only give this book a skimmit. Hmm. Chu, 27 from Image, second helping edition. You may remember a year or so ago when Chu flashed forward to the future yes. and presented an issue completely out of context. This is that issue. The future is now. Yes, we have finally gotten to this point of the story naturally through the progression, and it was really fun rereading it with all the proper context. However, it is a reprint. It's all reprint. Even the extra material was reprinted from elsewhere. Oh, was it? I didn't yeah, know that. The, the second story was from one of those Hero Comics uh, fundraiser books. But I still had a ton of fun reading it now that I have read the stories that preceded it. However, you might be better served digging out your original 227, giving it a skin it. Huh. Uncanny X-Men number 14 from Marvel. Kieran Gillen has a huge hard-on for Mr. Sinister, and it shows here in this Sinister-centric issue that takes place 
in the Moloid Caverns, where Mr. Sinister and his army of clones have built London, as he pictures it, <laughs> including a castle that he lives in. And he's also cloned a few surprises for the Phoenix-powered-up X-Men. This is Mr. Sinister being developed as one of the most interesting X-Villains out there by Gillen, sitting back in his chair. I'm just going to ruin the last page. He's sitting back and going, bring it on, X-Men, and it's going to be awesome, man. Amazing art by S.H.I.E.L.D. artist Dustin Weaver, who, admittedly, should be working on S.H.I.E.L.D. Regardless, buy it. (laughs) Higher Earth, number two. This is from Boom Studios. You may recall when I reviewed number one, I said it was kind of a very light, quick read. But it was only a dollar, so hey, whatever. And I wanted to see if this issue had more meat on the bone, and it does. This was a great issue from Sam Humphreys and Francisco Biagini. It's more high-concept sci-fi fun. I am on board. It was definitely worth the money. I'm giving it a buy it. Dark Horse presents number 13 from... Dark Horse. Kelly Zoo DeConnick is no longer up and coming. She is here. And in this issue, she's bringing Ghost back to the DHU with Phil Noto on art, which doesn't hurt at all. Great story, excellent dialogue, and anything that makes fun of the myriad of Ghost Hunter shows that's on television right now is right up my alley. I loved it. Huge fan of the old Ghost. Glad to see her back. There's more Aliens by John Lehman and Sam Keith here, more Mr. X by Dean Motter, more Black Beetle by Francesco Francavilla, and more Nexus by Mike Barron and Steve Rude. I friggin' love Dark Horse Presents. Buy this. Totally worth it. $8 price tag. Worth every penny. New Mutants number 44. I have not read New Mutants in many, many months, but this was part one of a new story. It's got the Defenders in it, and I was like, ah, I'll just jump in and see what happens. It was pretty fun. I really liked it. It's still a fun book. I've been reading New Mutants the whole time. It's still a fun book. Yeah, I'm pleased to say that it is still on track. I recommend it. uh, It is the Defenders New Mutants team up. You didn't know you wanted. Buy it. (laughs) The Secret History of D.B. Cooper, number four from Oni. This comic just keeps getting weirder and weirder, and I love it. In this issue, we learn that Cooper is not alone. There's a Russian agent that's tracking him through the psychedelic thoughtscape. Brian Chirilla's art is so good here. This is a fun book with a really weird concept. Revisionist psychedelic history. Buy this. Shwook. That is your ludicrous speed round, and shwook. Is the sound it makes when D.B. Cooper uses his katana to cut his way out of a rogue thought construct from the inside. I told you it was weird, psychedelic, revisionist history. (laughs) Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where DJ and I are joined by the guardian of the nexus of realities, the Man-Thing, who is kind enough to transport NBA champions Miami Heat power forward Chris Bosh and one of the elusive skunk apes from the Florida Everglades to join us in smoking some of the finest Florida Everglades skunk weed, which imbibes his user with the ability to see the future of next week's comics. Joe, clear the pungent smoke from your eyes and tell us, what do you see yourself reading? I've chosen Hypernaturals number one from Boom Studios. Or stolen right out from under me. Hey, I we're guess... Bo- we're both editing the script at the same time, you <laughs> son of a bitch. This is Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning returning to what they do best, and that is cosmic superhero storytelling. In their own sandbox, mind yes, you. I am very, very excited for more of this from these two writers. I cannot wait, Matt. 
what will you be reading? I'm excited for Before Watchmen, Night Owl, number one, written by J. Michael Straczynski, with art by Andy and Joe Kubert. Here's the deal, mad guy, hater. You're hating on an excellent product. If they were doing a terrible job, I would be the first person to call DC out. I always am. Other people do it too, but that's not my point. My point <laughs> is, these are excellent comics. I would be the eighth person to call DC out. <laughs> these are excellent comics that you are skipping just to be angry. And Alan Moore hates you. Sorry, but he's proven time and time again. He's he, not worthy of he, your love. He hates us all. As always, we want to know what you guys are reading. So hit us up on Twitter, our Facebook page, or hey, send us an email and let us know. Or hey. <laughs> now that that's over with and we're feeling much better, Joey, why don't you <laughs> tell us what our listeners are talking about the question of the week? We have a tweet here from Lugosi6 who says, no doubt... Alan Moore's Neonomicon. Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> Lugosi says it would be the best Lovecraftian horror movie of all time if horror done correctly. S- horror slash rape film. Yeah. Uh, it would be the best horror rape story of all time. It'd have to be David Cronenberg, directed by David Cronenberg, and it would be so upsetting. Gross. I'm upset just thinking <laughs> oh about God. it, Lugosi. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keith P.M. Silva, who was invaluable in teaching us just exactly what we're doing wrong. <laughs> says bring back boris the bear i love it if for nothing else other than the alliteration alone give him the voice of one of the wayans hey we've got ted coming out next week <laughs> i want to see boris the bear same director i want seth mcfarland's boris the bear <laughs> instant parody magic it would be awesome and we've got another one here from uh brian seeley who says uh this is on facebook us one the world is ready for a trucker from outer space i totally agree plus you get such supporting cast as papa wheelie and wide load annie I love US1, and I don't care who knows it. The hardest part of this film would be going back in time to get young Chris Christopherson to play the main <laughs> or character. Or Jerry, Jerry Reed from Smokey oh, and the Bandit. <laughs> God, I have Jerry, and he's dead, so that's going to be even harder. It's time once again for our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment where Matt and I take a trade paperback or graphic novel, dunk it in some coffee, and see how it tastes. It's true. It was Matt's turn to pick the book this month, and he chose Royden Lepp's Rust, Visitor in the Field from Archaea. Here's a quick synopsis. Young Roman Taylor struggles to keep his family's small farm afloat as the countryside heals from a devastating world war. When a boy with a jetpack, the mysterious Jet Jones, suddenly crash lands into their barn... Roman believes the secrets of Jet's past may be the key to their survival. But are some secrets best left untold? It's compact, smells faintly of Folger's crystals, and took about five minutes to read Matt. You poured crappy coffee? It wasn't even good coffee that you poured on my book? What did you think of Rust? First of all, I want to point out that I don't think anybody, maybe IDW's exception, but I don't think anybody is putting out hardcovers as high quality as Arkea right now. This is like the second book in a month we've reviewed from Arkea. They are friggin' knocking it dead and finding talent like Royden Lepp, who I don't think has done anything before this. I mean, I I look. No, he has. Uh, He used to uh, draw uh, comics from Alias. Comics, which was an indie company in the early part oh, of the 2000s. Yeah, I forgot about Alias. Um, they were like religious comics. He did a book about King David, like young King oh, David. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I met Lep at C2E2 where he signed my book before Joe Patrick poured coffee on it. 
And super His name is still on it. Super nice guy. And really the reason that I bought the book. So I just started talking to him and I went, you know what? I've seen reviews of this that read really well. I'm gonna check it out. Now, I should tell you this is a series. There's more coming. Yes. I don't know when the next one is coming, but I think it's fairly soon. I think it's supposed to hit before August. This is not a black and white story as much as it is sort of a sepia-toned story, and it kind of takes place in this... Well, it's it's timeless. It's, it's timeless, but it has this World War I feel to it. You see soldiers wearing, like, World War I pot helmets, and they have these very old-school-looking, like, repeater rifles, but they're fighting these upright-walking robots. robots. And this is how the book starts. It quickly moves from there to the story of this farmer working his field and rebuilding this robot with the help of this sort of Astro Boy looking kid named Jet. I kind of like how you can't really tell when or where the book is taking place. It's it's vaguely like middle American, but it could just as easily uh, take place in like any rural setting. It could be Europe. I mean, yeah, it could be. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and you know, the uh, Royden Lepp is from Canada, so you know, it really could be anywhere. It could be Saskaterio. It could be Saskaterio. <laughs> But yeah, it just has like a real timeless quality to it because like you said, there are robots, but it also very antiquated technology. But we know there was a war and we know the war was between robots and humans. And I'm guessing it's something along the lines of Terminator where there was some type of AI or something. We know things went bad with robots and a lot of people don't necessarily trust them. And the only robots they are using are very simple robots. Now, I don't want to give anything away, but we learn more about Jet, who is the kid that's been working in the fields, and there's definitely a mystery there that they're building on. I will say, this is a very quick read. It goes fast. Yeah, it really, it literally did only take me about 30 minutes to read it. Lep tells stories with his pictures more than his words, and he is masterful at it. There's a scene where one of the female characters is driving away from the farm to go into town to visit this school that she's thinking about going to college, and you see... As she's driving from an overhead view, you see the field, and you see a robot walking through the field towards the street. And then the next page, it's a little closer, and then the next page, you see the car accident as it takes place. Like, the car hits the robot, flips over, the girl's thrown from it, the robot is thrown a certain distance, and then sort of turns and looks at her. There isn't a word for, like, four pages in Mm -hmm. the sequence, and it's perfect. It is beautiful. I would not call his art refined. No, and by any means, I, like I've been studying animation for a while now, oh, and, and so and so you think you're so no. Smart. I'm just saying that since I've been <laughs> taking these classes, I've been involuntarily like spotting those kinds of techniques in comics that I've read. And when I looked at this, my first thought was that it looked like storyboards. Lep is an animator for an animated movie, and sure enough, Lep is an animator. Yeah. in his day job, I did think that the art seemed kind of mm, not crude well maybe crude like the storytelling is amazing but the art style seemed a little crude and it's not that it's unpleasant it's just not very clean and i went to lep's blog and discovered that he is a phenomenal artist and he just changes his style to suit his project yeah and the style he chose for rust was chosen intentionally and it really fits the tone of the story. Now that I look at it again, in hindsight, that kind of stripped down, unclean looking line style really suits this book. It's almost got like sort of a loose 
late 80s like anime feel to me too sort of a graveyard of the fireflies you know and in the I would say the theme is also very kind of anime where you have this like timeless story with oh, robots sure, involved. Sure. And I don't know if that's where this is going, but I think it's definitely there. And I think it, it's definitely part of what's driving his story. I loved this book. Well, like you said, I'm going to buy all of these. <laughs> I'll, I'll dip them all in coffee. For that you. would be great. Yeah. So they could be a complete set. Yep. I, I found the action scenes really thrilling, and I don't normally feel that way when I read comics, since they're just static images. That sounds bad. It's not that I don't enjoy them. It's just, they're still images. It's not like I ever really feel like the stakes are high. But I think part of why the book read so fast is because in those action scenes, you were flipping when pages. When I read this book, I was genuinely thrilled. The scenes are so well laid out and paced, I was really drawn in. Lep does a great job setting up the mystery of Jet Jones and the plot that's going to carry through the next volume. I did not expect that when I started reading it. I didn't know it it was going to be more volumes. I thought this was going to be self-contained. Yeah, I didn't know the first thing about it. When I found out there was going to be more, I was very excited. I'm very happy to know that there's more to come. I'm giving Rust Volume 1 a huge buy-it. Yeah, huge buy-it from me too. Royden Lepp, if you are listening to this, you can contact us and Joe Patrick will gladly pay you $24.95 for a new copy that you can sign for me since he ruined it. Go out and pick up this book, you guys. Excellent read. Number two, like I said, coming soon. And Archaea, keep up the kick-ass work. Yeah, great job. Man, wonderful. Joe Patrick, it's your turn to pick. What are we reading next month? All right. Our choice for next month's Take a Look It's In a Book. Your choice. It's your turn to pick. My choice (laughs) for next month's Take a Look It's In a Book is Batman Earth 1 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Eagerly anticipated, announced, I think, a decade ago at some comic book convention. It's finally coming out, and hopefully it'll be out by the end of next month. Does (laughs) Batman have guns? No. Okay. I'm thinking something else. I don't think so. Oh, I'm thinking of the... uh, First wave. Yeah, I was thinking of first wave. Right. Batman with guns. So, if you want to read along, Batman Earth One comes out very, very soon. It'll be short. It will probably still be (laughs) $24.99. Hopefully it's great. (laughs) I am confident it will be great. Sort of break it down like this. That is it. For the Joe didn't remember that it was my birthday this week, an edition of the Two-Headed Nerd. If you take your best friends for granted, you too can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where your star ratings and short reviews could help us get in the iTunes Top 10, which seems to be strangely infested with ringtone podcasts. It's like the best ringtones ever. Who is listening to that crap? Seriously. Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help me replace Matt's hardcover edition of Royd and Left's Rust... That's right. I'm not letting it lie. You can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, your comic that you'd like us to review, and you can keep your THN mascot art coming for the official THN mascot contest. Next week is a fifth week at THN. So we'll be counting down our top five favorite patriotic heroes that aren't Captain America in celebration of Independence Day. Otherwise, if we both don't pick Cap, number one, we're assholes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. It's like not picking Colossus for your favorite Russian. And get ready for Casey's Corner, where my wife will review one of the week's new comics and share her uninitiated and undoubtedly 
hilarious point of view. Happy birthday! I let you spring a new segment on me without ever telling me. <laughs> and remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Matt, what obscure comic property would you like to see get made into a movie? Alien Legion. I didn't even have to think about Good this. Good answer. I didn't even have to think. And here's the thing. I don't want backstory. I don't want explanation. I want scene one. Chip comes rolling in. Scene two. Jugger Grimrod is bitching about how crappy life in the core <laughs> is. You know? I mean, and then scene three. War. <laughs> like, That's pretty good. Just give it to me. And get Larry Stroman to do all the layouts. Because that dude needs work, man. And I love him. And Chuck Dixon, write the damn script, man. It's your story. Write it. Joe, what would you want to see? I was kind of thinking it would be fun to see an Our Man movie, and I'm talking about DC's Our Man, not the JSA Our Man, but the weird android from the far future that comes back in time and tries to learn how to be human and become a hero. I think that would make a great movie, and you don't ever have to mention DC anything. Fair enough. It's just a time-traveling android who has weird powers and tries to learn how to be a superhero and how to relate to humanity, I think would be awesome. That was a wonderful series. Also, Hitman. Garth Ennis is Hitman. Yeah, Hitman. Give me a Hitman movie. I think. I don't think DC characters showed up in that book more than a handful of times. You could fill it full of ridiculous made-up superheroes you and supervillains for him to Give me a late-night DC Adult Swim Hitman cartoon. Love it. That would be awesome because they've already developed DC Universe lives in like on Cartoon Network. When I have one late night show, where oh. like because everybody's developed, then when he's making jokes about Wonder Woman and Superman, you know, it all makes sense. It'd be great. That would be the best. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Jason Wood, co host of the 11 O'Clock Comics podcast, which was also named one of Pop Candy's top 10 comics podcasts. Just like yours truly. We're still riding that glory train. That's right. Jason took the time to send us a really nice message this week, along with a helpful pronunciation guide for Matt here. Get it straight, bomb. It's Remender, not Remender. Whatever. Word to you, Jason. And until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Happy birthday, you big baby. See if you can remember this. (laughs) Eat my shit.